Hi, my name is Solo. It's nice to meet you. I'm used to talking to all kinds of people and I get along with them. People are happy in my cab and I know how to handle the ones that aren't so friendly. I think that's very important for this job. I don't want to drive a cab. I've been doing that for three years. I don't want to drive a cab. You told me it would cost $200. I'll give you a thousand to take me there on October the 20th. You want me to take you on top of some mountain where you're not meeting nobody and you don't want to come back? Why do you want to do this? 6464, have you ever heard of this place called Blowing Rock? Blowing Rock is the only place in the world where the snow goes upside down. What's going on, man? So my apartment. Moving into a motel. You have family here, right? Why don't you move in with them? Why don't family stay together in America? Mom wants to talk to you. I'm sick of you and that taxi. I don't want you in my house. Listening to Film Wax Radio, episode 500. What am I doing? Uh, that clip that you heard coming into the episode is from Ramin Barani's film Goodbye Solo, his third feature. This is uh, kind of exciting. Uh, I, I mean, I was pursuing getting Ramin on for a long time. There were months of emails back and forth just trying to coordinate around a busy guy's schedule. You know, he teaches at Columbia, he's writing a new project, he's got this HBO movie that came out, and um, and it's summer, so there's all sorts of obligations and what have you, and um, it just was a little tricky. What's your favorite Ramin Barani movie? He's made about half a dozen features, a couple of shorts that he's known for, it was a case where I think I just started really getting into independent film, like right in between his first and second films. When I got out of the music industry in 2006. So at some point later in 2006, I was already like starting to approach independent, which independent films, which I've been watching for years and loving for years. But kind of getting to really know filmmakers in the industry started in 2006 you know man push card had been out for a while and went for a little while and when chop shop came out i had been reading about it so i made a point of seeing chop shop and then i i enjoyed it so much i found it so gratifying it's like a, this new filmmaker who was making films back like they were in the neorealism genre again in that same way with that authenticity and they were shot like in, in the, on the streets of New York streets that I grew up seeing and that, you know, or that I worked around the corner from the, nothing really glamorous, you know, just, it was like almost like watching documentary. I know that sounds a bit cliche, but, it, but it, it applies here. So went back, watched man push cart, on DVD or whatever it was, and I said, "This, this is a, this is somebody who's really fascinating. This, who, who's making these films? I and mean, his name is Ramin Barani. I thought he was an Asian filmmaker. 
making movies abroad somewhere. I didn't know he he grew up in North Carolina. He graduated film school with like David Gordon Green and Jody Hill and those guys. He'd be back with uh, his third feature, Goodbye Solo, in 2008. You heard a clip from that film just a few seconds back. In 2012, I was working for the Tribeca Film Festival, and I was excited to see on the list of the Q&As that I was offered to volunteer for (laughs) after uh, watching however many hundred films for Tribeca Film Festival. Then you get the honor of doing Q&As. Now, I do enjoy doing Q&As. I enjoy meeting the film festival audiences. It's fun. And among those on my list was Ramin Barani's At Any Price so I watched it ahead of time, and uh, I was surprised. Now, all of a sudden, Dennis Quaid was in it, and um, Zac Efron was in it. It just seemed all of a sudden uh, out of place. I didn't understand why all of a sudden there were Hollywood stars in this, this, in this filmmaker's film. But he had changed course a little bit, and to follow it up, at any price with 99 Homes, which began his uh, collaborations with uh, Michael Shannon and was very much of, of it the moment, dealing with the mortgage crisis, the housing crisis of the late aughts. We're going to talk about that pivot that Ramin made between Goodbye Solo at, 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 and At Any Price we're going to talk about 99 Homes, the making of that film. We're going to talk about Fahrenheit 451, a film he adapted. And he really struggled with that adaptation. It was a real challenge for him. Uh, he's working on a couple of new projects. He's going to talk about that. We're going to talk about a lot of stuff. It was, it was fun to meet him. He's a sweet guy. He lives in North Brooklyn. And he asked if we could meet in North Brooklyn. And, um, of course, I'm going to say, yes, we can. And I don't have a space in North Brooklyn. So I just, I said, let me find a location where we could do this. And, I, you know, I'm very friendly with everyone over at Kickstarter, which is in Greenpoint, their offices. And so I approached my friends there, the Kickstarter directors of the film department. Those are the people. So if you do a campaign for film, these are the folks that you deal with. Uh, and they said yes, and they gave us this room, and we recorded it, it right there in the Kickstarter offices. So thank you to my friends at Kickstarter. You know who you are. Consider doing your next crowdsourced campaign with Kickstarter. Go to kickstarter.com and check out all of the campaigns. You can um, contact me as well if you have any questions about Kickstarter. It's I did my own campaign last winter successfully with their help and in a way it has been part of the reason why the last year's bump in the what I've been able to accomplish has exposed me to larger audience and with that comes more access to great guests there's no shortage mind you but it, it it helped me quite a bit so consider if you're trying to increase your network your support system and your financing Consider Kickstarter for that. It's a little commercial for Kickstarter. Okay, here it is now. Ramin Barani on Film Wax Radio, episode 500. We made it, folks. 
and I'll be back with a, at the end with a very short outro as we begin our next 500 shows here on Film Wax Radio. Let's get cooking. What? Sheriffs are here. Why are they here? My name's Rick Carver. I'm a licensed real estate broker. This home has been foreclosed on. No, this I is not happening. I need you, your mom, and your son to step off the property. Just, this is not your home. Mr. Mr. Carver, please, please don't. Sir, you have two minutes. Pack whatever belongings you need. Oh, my God. Does he have to stand there while she packs up? Is that right? You comfortable? Yes. Yeah, wow, after all this time, finally. Yeah, sorry. No, don't be sorry. Uh, I, these, uh, I, I, there's I, always. I, I'm, I'm always like, well, if only one day I could be like. <laughs> there, lean in a little. Well, you're in the scheme of things, I'd say you're, you're uh, successful uh, and. Also, some of the success at the level you're talking about can also come with the cost. Yeah. Not necessarily, but it gets more and more complicated, I think, right? The more, the more, uh, I don't know. Is that good? Yeah. yeah. There you okay. go. Yeah. Should I sit closer, maybe? Yeah, that's perfect. Um, well, you know, when you're in between projects, it takes longer for me to book people. Like when they're just... You know, just when I'm not going through, when you're not involved in that press junket uh, phase where somebody's doing it for you, essentially, or with you, yes. it's I, I think that then it's easier to, it's quicker, that, that part of the process of, of scheduling something. But when I'm just kind of doing it with somebody and there's so many moving parts and then, you know, you can book something three weeks from now, but so much can happen in three weeks that can, yeah. so I'm used to it and I don't get frustrated. If anything, I'm just self-conscious that I don't want to be, you know, be a... Uh, as I mentioned a few times, like I just, I just letting you know, this is all great. So there's no, you know, no bad side to it if it's pushed off for a little further, you know. Uh, so thank you for <laughs> for agreeing to this, and it's really nice to finally sit down yeah. in person. Thanks I mean, for even being interested to want to talk. Well, I didn't say that. <laughs> I am, but I, no, I definitely am, and I don't remember. I wish I could remember what put your films onto my uh, radar at the beginning, like early on. But I was there pretty early. I think probably with your second feature, uh, and then I went back and I watched. Uh, so I must have come on board with uh, Chop Shop was the f second. No, that yeah. was that was the second, right? So yes. you did manage Push Cart was first. Yes, which is remarkable, uh, but. Um, Okay, yeah. So, so then, and then since then, just been, and you're kind of quasi prolific, right? Mm. So, we should mention, by the way, and let me get out of the housekeeping out of the way because we are in the offices of Kickstarter here in Greenpoint, and uh, so thank you to the people at Kickstarter uh, for providing a, uh, a space for us today that was in, relatively close to where you live. Yes. <laughs> Unless the sun's beating down, then it feels very far. No, it was okay. It was it's all right. Good walk. Yeah, but you're wearing all black, and <laughs> that's all right. Maybe uh, it's not such a bad thing, but there's no hiding from the sun today. Sometimes I think um, if I were to show up here in a yellow shirt, it would be so weird. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it would have been. I'm always trying to think that if the movie I'm making, will it look like a black T-shirt? Meaning, would it fit me? Would mm -hmm. it suit me? Right. 
Do you, yeah, you generally, well, I, I don't know, I haven't seen, i only seen you one other time live. You want to know where that was? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so coy. Uh, no, I saw that wonderful event that you did with Steve James, you know where I'm oh, going yeah. with this, at, uh, in Midtown. Yes. At the... Uh, oh, when he was winning a prize. No, it was a, it was a screening of uh, Life... Uh, Life itself, yes. Where Steve and you, oh, and Chaz, and Chaz. That was at the Momi, I think. No, it wasn't Momi. That was at the Paley Center, uh, wasn't it? No, I think it was at Momi. Oh, I may be wrong. Okay, in, in I Paris. remember it, it being at the Paley Center, but I could be wrong. Paley Center in, in Manhattan. The event I had with Steve in Manhattan was I was giving him an award for best documentary that year. Okay, and I just made a talk for him and his film, his great film. Yeah. I can't wait to see his new. TV series. I saw a trailer for it. Oh, was there a trailer for his new show? It looks oh. great. Okay. He's in a high school. I think it's maybe ten parts on. Oh my God. Stars Network. It looked very good. Oh really? He's, I'm so far behind. Good. Yeah. Is that is that uh, being done out of Chicago? I think it's out of Chicago again. Yeah. He's based in Chicago. No, no. And then Kartemquin usually produces the or is producing it's his company. Part. I think. No, I don't know. No. no, but he's he's heavily he's like uh, I don't know if he's technically an employee, but he's I mean they they produce their producer partner on on most of his yeah. most of his uh, works, and he's been he's been great also great on uh, we've done a couple of these he's for, very good yeah yeah he's a, he's a sweetheart yeah but uh, so uh, I didn't really have like a hard agenda here except you know it's because it's kind of. This is now also. I want to mention this is the five hundred my five hundredth podcast. So I do try to line up a special guest. Consider yourself special for each you know if I can. And so thank you also for helping me make that that happen. Congratulations. You know, yeah, thank you. Otherwise, I might have had to call up Steve, and <laughs> he would have been fine too. Uh, uh, but uh, yeah, no, this is terrific. Uh, I can't uh, even wrap my mind around it. But it's surprising once you start doing it, it beca- there's like a there is a kind of an addictive quality to it. I think it's good just to get up and do the work every day. Otherwise, what yeah. would you do? Well, I am doing other things, but but it what happens it, no matter what my mood is, if I'm feeling very happy, it brings me down. If I'm feeling no, I'm kidding. It's the opposite. If if I'm feeling a little bit um, a down or whatever, as soon as I start to to do this, it really sort of just. Uh, has a kind of a medicinal value to it you know it, it makes me feel better so uh, so that's part of probably part of why i am doing it you know have you done any other podcasts you must have uh i think so um sometimes i don't know if it's a if it's for radio or podcast but i, I think i have done um oh right and and so many of the radio shows re- repurpose exactly, them as yeah. podcasts that's right that's yeah. right yeah I just put the word radio in my show. That's my way of solving that problem. Although it did start off as, as radio, internet radio. So let's do a little bit of, of, of reminiscing here. Um, when did you get, because I don't know, uh, when did you first decide like film was going to be what you wanted to, what, what you wanted to do? Or did um, that... Probably in high, in high school. Um, was that in South Carolina? North Carolina. North Carolina. Yeah, Excuse North me. Carolina. Yeah. Uh, Winston-Salem. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, North Carolina. And, uh, you know, I had grown up doing a lot of visual arts, painting, drawing, things like that. And um, 
by the time I got into middle school, I started getting more into reading and started reading a lot and then and started writing short stories and mm. sketching out ideas, stories. And um, I had a teacher in high school who started showing us movies, which it had never occurred to me that someone in, in school would show us movies. And he was focused a lot on the American films from the 70s. And so I started going to the Video Village on Robin Hood Road mm -hmm. and renting VHS. Mm -hmm. There was either VHS or beta. They had a red tab for VHS and blue for beta. And we had VHS mm -hmm. and started renting movies. And then just started getting addicted to watching first whatever they had from American cinema in the 70s, because that's what my teacher was talking about. And then started getting into the classic Hollywood films, foreign films, you know, whatever they had, which wasn't a ton, but I would just get all I could find and then go on to the um, library, mm -hmm. the library downtown and yeah, yeah. got whatever they had, Yeah, you know, and you start finding things that you like. Yeah. I like that approach to it because it's almost like it's a, you're just sort of going on this open-ended uh, journey or, yeah. or not a uh, journey or adventure where you don't have a specific goal and so you're just like leading it leads you where it leads you yeah. you know that's that's why probably that may be part of the the excitement of cinema some things are chance right like by chance what books are around your house when you're growing yes, up and right. which ones you pick up first and yeah he we had certain books in the house you know iranian poets and mm -hmm. you know dostoevsky these these Kafka, these were the books that by chance were hanging around. It could have been something else. And, you know, this teacher in high school said, you know, Martin Scorsese, Francis Ford Coppola, Woody Allen, Robert mm -hmm. Altman. Mm -hmm. These were what he put in front of us for some reason. And, um, you know, you go to the video store and they don't have a lot, but they have certain things like suddenly you pick up Apocalypse like, of the Wrath of yeah. God. Right. Oh, right. And you're like, oh my God. So yeah. then you go to the library and you're like do you have any movies by Werner Herzog and they have yeah. Strotzek and you know yeah. you, then you're like well, what else can you and you find we were talking about Varda I remember seeing in high school seeing um, Vagabond just uh -huh. being totally blown away by it um, and these were the things that end up those early years are the things that I think f somehow form so much of your ideas and where you're headed mm, sure I see things now and I enjoy them a lot if they're new, like something I had never seen before. Right. Um, but I don't know if it ha can have that same deep scar. Mm, interesting way of putting it. Yeah, I think I think. Well, I grew up in the seventies too, and I think they were these movies were out coming out at the time. A lot of these films, you know, and my parents just loved art cinema. So, they I remember them coming home and talking about. You know, uh, Fitzgeraldo, like, mm. and just intriguing me with, with you know, like what they they try to pull a boat over. What are you talking about? And I would just get these. And finally, when I was, uh, you know, old enough, and and films, and especially foreign films, became much more accessible or ubiquitously available to or now. Now it's crazy, but um, and just like then wanting to see everything by words <laughs> or hurts, like like. This guy is, how can you be making films like this? And why doesn't everybody know about it? Yeah, I know. You know? So you, did you, were your parents in the arts or in academia? What, where, no. How come they? No, they hadn't. But Iran was, they were from Iran. Yeah. So the, and there was a, a big history of, of arts and, and academia in, in Iran. So I mean, you know. They really just brought it with them. Yeah. And 
I mean, poetry is a big part of Iranian culture mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. anyone, you know, whether you're in arts or in academia, it wouldn't make any difference. Poetry is just like a bread and butter there. Um, no, they weren't involved in arts, and they didn't really have that much of an interest in movies. We didn't go to the movies that often. Mm-hmm. As a family, we would go to the movies maybe once a year, okay. and it was typically to see a James Bond or well, some <laughs> something at, in the holidays, some big Hollywood movie. Yeah. Once a year, maybe. Sure. It's not really part of our... Got it. Opinion. So it was really was that high school teacher that really kind of... That seemed to be a big part of it, yeah. And um, was, that, was it what, was primarily this one guy? Yeah. Yeah? Van Brown. Van Brown was his name? Yeah. Was that the last name or the first and last that name? That was his middle and last uh, yeah. name, yeah. Dutch style yeah, or whatever it is. How was he Dutch? Well, and, whatever. Um, Vaughn is. Or I you know, then mm-hmm. you just think about combining literature and visual arts, which I've been already enjoying, and then you start to move it into movies, uh-huh. you know? Yeah. And then you went to school for it. I, I came, I left North Carolina, I came to New York, I wanted to, to Thank be you. in, you know, the city and, you know, yeah. not be in a small town and different kinds of people and all the things you can imagine, and um, studied uh, film theory mm-hmm. at Columbia, mm-hmm. so it was mainly... Um, there was no classes in filmmaking for undergraduates at Columbia. Right. So I had great professors, and Ed Instorf was my first professor. Oh, Annette. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you must know her from Oh, her sure, I just ran into her work last week. And her, yeah, her profession. She did the show, in fact. Uh, uh, but she, she also introduced me to Paul Schrader. Oh, yeah, sure. And um, so she's, she was my first teacher, wow. amazing professor, amazing person, yeah. scholar, academic. Um, writer mm-hmm. and you know had other great professors there Seamus was one of them mm-hmm. you know yeah and um, took a couple screenwriting classes that's what you could do as an undergraduate huh. and then just made short films on my own um, I mean what years roughly are you talking about uh, like 93 to 96 mm-hmm. um, and most of the short films were unwatchably bad and, and I don't mean to say that like Actually, they were good. No, they were really awful. Mm-hmm. Like, you couldn't even make sense out of the first four of them. They were so bad. Maybe the fifth and sixth one, you could almost say that they <laughs> yeah. kind of worked. You're not, le- you're, nobody's going to be able to see these, but you, no, but you can reflect on, on them. Yeah. They're on Super 8 and on 16. Right, yeah, yeah. And I'm not even sure where they are anymore. Oh, really? One of them, I think one of them I still have it. Mm-hmm. I think it's even maybe transferred to a VHS tape. Um, that one kind of made sense. It was the last one I made at mm-hmm. Columbia. Um, the other ones really, anyway, they just didn't make sense. I mean, I didn't know what I was doing. No one had guided me. Just kind right. of trying to trying to do something. And um, you know, that was what I did. So, did you didn't go to a state film for a, a graduate level? No, I. Um, okay. I went back to North Carolina and. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know what I was going to do, but my parents and my brother still lived there. And uh, I had finished that short film, the last one I told you about, mm-hmm. in Columbia. And it had been made on 16 millimeter, and I needed a place to look at it when the lab sent it to me. I had no idea did it work, what did it look like. And um, a film school had just opened in the North Carolina School of the Arts, which is a mm-hmm. university in my town that had been known and is known for dance and um, theater and behind-the-scenes in theater design and production and quite a good school a lot of people on Broadway coming out of this school they had just started a film school it was in maybe its 
second year, third year. <laughs> and I went there and asked, can I use your projector to watch this movie? And they were nice enough to let me do it. And then they said, hey, you know, we're looking to hire somebody on staff here to work in the production office on staff. And I was like, well, I needed a job. And I thought I could use the facilities to make another short film. Yeah. Because they had equipment and Incredible. professors and people. And so I did that and made one more short film. Was that Plastic Bag or? No, Plastic Bag was made after my first three features. Oh, I didn't even know that. Okay. No, it was another short film called Backgammon. I don't mean to sh- about rush. About a small six-year-old Iranian-American girl who wants to play Backgammon with her grandfather, who's just come from Iran. Mm-hmm. This was, I think, the first film that was really pushing into what I started to do, which was all non-actors, extremely simple story, mm-hmm. you know, kind of what I had been learning from the Iranian cinema, from the Italian neorealist cinema. That kind of yeah. stuff became the first attempt at that was this short film. Yeah. I was going to ask you about Iranian cinema because it's clearly, if it came, it came after you already were steeped in 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 making films or that the idea of being a filmmaker must have already dawned on you before you really probably started to yeah because it really started to be i mean it was coming into the country here it was coming at that time when i was in college yeah right i i mean i went i remember going to through the olive trees at the new york film festival Mm -hmm. and then i had uh hamid debashi my professor and now mentor friend he's like been a friend now for 20 years he was teaching in the Milak department at Columbia, Middle East, East Asian languages and cultures. And he had a class on Persian literature, which I took, and then Middle Eastern cinema. And in his class, I came to encounter other Iranian films I had never seen, like um, Bashu, The Little Stranger, a film by Bezai, um, Amir Nadiri's film, The Runner, um, The Cow, Merchui's film, um, and then, you know, Where's the Friend's House, and Kiarostami's trilogy, which I found, I saw the third part when it came to the New York Film Festival. Mm-hmm. So he was a big push in for me in terms of knowing about that mm-hmm. and learning about that cinema. Um, yeah, because uh, was that the White Balloon? No, I, I remember that's when I I was introduced to like Kiarostami. No, no, that was Panahi, right? Uh, the White, the White Balloon, Balloon was written by Kiarostami and it was Panahi's first film. Pan- yeah. Oh, that's right, Panahi's first film. He, yeah. I think he won the. Camera door and Cam, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was my introduction to. I think the first time I saw yeah. it and it, it, like and just saying, oh, the this Lincoln is... uh, Lincoln Plaza. I think it played. Oh well, I saw it at the New York Film Festival. Okay, that was my first time going to the New York Film Festival too. But uh, uh, and yeah, now I guess the what we know in the sort of I'd say has transgressed into or transcended into the popular mainstream to some degree as far as. American awareness, I guess you'd have Kirstami and Panahi. Is that how you pronounce it? Panahi. Panahi? Oh, excuse yeah. me. Panahi. And uh, now, I guess, Oscar. Far, uh, Faradi. Yeah. Faradi, yeah. Uh, well, that's good. I'm getting a finally <laughs> corrected, <laughs> correct way of saying. Yeah. Um, but what was interesting about my time yeah. as an anecdote mm-hmm. in North Carolina was it's when I became friends with that whole gang of North Carolina School of the Arts filmmakers. So David Gordon Green, sure, Jeff yeah. Nichols, Craig Zobel. Yeah, I know them all. Yeah. Um, McBride, Danny. Jody Hill. They were all there at that time. That's incredible. And um, It's a little mafia. Yeah. I think David and I forged a friendship from then until now. and I'm friendly with all of them, but mainly with David. And Adam Stone, one of the DPs that came out oh, yeah. there. He, he just uh, shot, um, brand new, he has a new film. 
that he just shot for somebody. I just had them on. Maybe uh, uh, I don't want to waste. He's that. great. Yeah, he did a short for me, and mm-hmm. I'm always trying to find a way to work with him again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I know. I just was had somebody on in the last couple of weeks, and I was talking to them, and I mentioned. So well, it must be a very new film. It may not even be out. Maybe it was like Bam Cinema Fest or something. Mm. I can't remember. <laughs> too many people talking to too many people. But um, uh, yeah, we're, it's okay. Don't worry about that. We're drinking. It's a hot day here in yeah. Brooklyn, and we're drinking, keeping hydrated. Um, so, uh, oh, so yeah, that's an amazing, amazing kind of, uh, and it's ju- quite a juxtaposition of thinking about these Iranian filmmakers, these American seventies films, and you know, all of a sudden this cropping of troublemakers from North Carolina. <laughs> this whole group of kind of funny although actually david gordon green started out very making very kind of serious stories kind of a, in a similar he stayed he stayed at home in a way his stories seemed to come more from the south at yeah. least initially like with george washington and uh few, undertow. undertow right some great films um also a little bit you could see almost see a neorealism strain in there not quite as maybe Mm, pure, let's see, as, as, as your early films, but um, before this un- inexplicable transition that he made, <laughs> which, you know, is, I'm just curious, I've had him on here too, and I, I tried to get into, because he gets, he's, but he's asked that every, probably by every interviewer, at least a few years back when he did make that transition, and I was always trying to get a little bit further, but he won't really t- internal, or he won't go so internally to kind of figure out or it may just be very simple, you know. I just needed to make money, you know. And I don't know if things are as simple as make money all the time. No, they're not I mean, all the time. First, if you look at uh, George Washington again, mm-hmm. um, the humor in George Washington, you can see it in his bigger, um, let's say, studio films. That kind of humor is already there. It, it's in all those. Um, Schneider character and those those kind of gang of yep. those white people on that train tracks. They have that humor that he puts in his studio films. So that's already there. And I don't know if things are as simple as always making money. I mean, no, and I get, don't mean to suggest that they point, are. You do get you as a, as a one of the things that American independent filmmakers contend with that is maybe different than our colleagues in Europe or the Middle East or East Asia or South America, um, Southeast Asia and elsewhere is there's no government funding for these small films. So a lot of us, um, David, um, Kelly Reichard, Sean, um, you know, so many people, so young Kim, these people from my generation, it's like at a certain point you're like, damn, you know, I made this movie. And Adam and all these critics said it was good, and we went to the big festival, and all the critics said it was great. And then you like struggle for someone to buy it, and then they put two dollars into marketing into marketing it, it yep. so no one knows it exists. Right. And then no one goes, and then that's the end of it. So well, that's mean, really you know, what I was using shorthand to get at. I mean, I don't mean to suggest selling out because that's not what I was saying. I'm just talking about really just, yeah, working on a platform where you're going to get people into the theater, where people get into the theater to see it, where you then you have a sitting in a position where you'll have choices, yeah. more choices I mean, it's and tough, resources. But, you know, I, I'm not saying it's good or bad. It's just it, it is what it is, mm-hmm. the same as when... And how patient you are, potentially. I don't know. I mean, um, I don't think it matters if the Dardan brothers or Ken Loach or Mike Lee mm-hmm. 
they don't have to make their money back. And that's why when you watch their DVDs and you listen to the commentaries mm -hmm. to learn, which I like to do, mm -hmm. they always advise shoot in sequence. And I'm like, well, why don't you come and try that here? Because <laughs> there's no time. There yeah. won't, there's no money to buy the time to shoot in sequence, you know? So it's a different reality, but, you know, I, I, speaking of David, I, I like that he goes back and he turns around and makes Joe. Mm -hmm. Right. I like that. I think Joe was really good. Well, that's kind of what I was getting at a little bit. I, I agree with you, you know. and uh, the, Man, the extras in Joe are really good. Yeah, that guy that uh, I remember he died subsequently. Uh, but that older guy that was, I, remember, I just remember Nicolas Cage having a scene or two with him on the bridge or something. And then he's oh, yeah. a real scary guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Man, I like that movie. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I haven't seen it since it came out, and Me, it's yeah, a while. It came out, and I, I still remember that's yeah. that moment. Good mood and atmosphere. Yeah, the whole film. Yeah, uh, and Nicolas Cage <laughs> really invested. Yeah, you know, would you work with Nicolas Cage? I think he's an interesting actor. Sure. Yeah, it's remarkable. Yeah, when he's on, he's on. Yeah. But, oh, Dave and all those guys. No, yeah, I guess I, I was really just kind of saying it, it's there is a you know there is a kind of a practical way of going about it and maybe doing some hollywood stuff you know allows you then to make the choices and have more resources in order to say well i want to make a joe now and you're in a position to negotiate a bit more now to so you can do those kinds of projects one for uh, them one for you is it's certainly an american <laughs> yeah. cinema industry reality mm -hmm option i'm not mm -hmm. saying you have to do it i struggle with that all the time should mm -hmm. i do it or not that's a reality that just doesn't exist the dardan brothers and ken Loach, they don't have to think about that question kiarostami mm -hmm. panahi they don't have to that question doesn't exist in their mind you know um i would honestly uh, uh, and i have the right to say this um because i am brown i'd rather uh, I'd rather deal with the censorship in Iran than have to deal with this economic question. Really? Oh, yeah. Wow. Bold statement. Well, from... That's from, what it is. Yeah. Well, you certainly did uh, two... Well, both both uh, Man Push Cart and Chop Shop were done probably by the seat of your pants, right? Non-professional actors... Solo actually the same. Solo, Solo was harder right than in. Chop Shop in the end. Chop Shop, Big Beach yeah, came on board. A, I was about to make Big the Beach film is for, a uh, Big Beach is a production company in right. New York. Okay, I was about to do that film for, I think three hundred thousand uh, dollars. Man Push Card, the total budget was around eighty something, and then I had to raise. It got into Venice, um, and at that time I had you had to show it on thirty five millimeter, and I shot it on high def cassette tapes. A Sony F nine hundred was uh -huh. the camera, and I had to raise fifty grand to blow it up to thirty five. So just to blow it up to thirty five was almost the cost of the whole movie. Let's do a commercial for Kickstarter, right? Oh Isn't well, it, wouldn't they, have they been great to have that? I they didn't have it. No, back I got then. it. I we know. were just like, been, you know, can you imagine if one of those, pla you know, would have been great? So in a month you could have raised it. Yeah, then actually finding the fifty grand to, to go to thirty five ended up being not that hard because I went to the the biggest investors in the movie and they said okay well of course you're going to Venice we'll do it okay um, Chop Shop I was going to make it for about three four hundred something like this and um, Big Beach said they wanted to do it and they 
had just come off of Little Miss Sunshine, mm-hmm. Sundance, which I didn't understand the connection. In fact, I declined to take the initial meeting because I was like, well, they'll never want to do this and I should just focus on... Why waste each other's time? I really just said no and eventually they asked again and I went there thinking, well, I guess I'll just, you know, go yeah. in for the meeting. And um, I think it was stupid to say no. It's better just say yes and. I didn't know that mm-hmm. yet. I didn't, hadn't learned yes and. Where you weren't a uh, impro- improvising. My imp- friend Ali Farinakian, the founder of the Pit, People's Improv Theater, hadn't taught me that yet. Yeah, yes and. He's a great guy. But it, were you a fan of the British office? I'm a fan of Ali Farinakian's and his theater, the Pit, and I learned from him oh. about improv. And well, he the, was one of the founders of UCB. Mm-hmm. He came out of Second City. Right. I don't know much about improv. Everything I know. But about, you know yes and. I, knew, I know him. Yeah. And he's one of my friends and someone I lean on for advice he's a little older than me and he grew up in north carolina with me but it was about six seven years older and part of the iranian joy luck club the iranian joy luck club that's what he calls it what's what's that well back in north carolina there were so few iranians that we would look each other up in the phone book or our parents would <laughs> and they would find an, an iranian name and they would just randomly call it's and this is how my like parents facebook met his parents yeah yeah mm-hmm. it is yeah old old school way mm-hmm. so then Big Beach came, and that's how the budget went up, uh-huh. and um, I had more resources. Mm-hmm. I didn't need much, but it helped. It helped me not lose certain locations, and I had more time. And Solo again became very difficult to make because the money fell apart. Oh. Ten days, uh, just a week before shooting, the investor just never answered the phone anymore. That, that's never good. No. Yeah. Wow. So uh, was that, that was, uh, you already were shooting it. Is that what you're saying? Or you were about to I start? Had, um, we were about to start. Okay. And, um, what a nightmare. Yeah, the budget was around 900 And um, a third of the money was coming from ITVS. Mm-hmm. And, but, and they fund a lot of PBS projects, right? Yeah, we had given the TV rights to them for this money. and um, But they were only going to give 100 grand for production. Then you get 100 more when you deliver a cut. And a hundred more when you deliver the final film. It's like some sort of blackmail. No, it's normal. The, the <laughs> money know. comes in stages. Yeah. And um, so I only had a hundred grand, and this other company was to do the remaining six hundred of the total budget. And I went. All my cat, my cast and crew were in North Carolina. We were rehearsing, preparing, and I flew to Toronto for thirty-six hours to show Chop Shop. Mm-hmm. Did, Chop Shop was oh, in yes. Can, yes. And then it was in Toronto. And I met the investor there. I'd never met him. He came through two other people. and But we had been in touch. We had been emailing. The lawyers were kind of going over the contracts. I met him. We shook hands. He was so excited. I showed him what we were doing in North Carolina. He was so happy. I just didn't hear from him again until the day I wrapped the film. For some reason, he emailed to say, we're not going to do it, as if I didn't know by then. And so the movie ended up costing 600 in the end. And in the middle of production, I was on the phone always in between setups trying to find more money yeah what was amazing then was some people in the crew including people i didn't know cut their wages for me others said no you told me you would pay me this much pay me which was their right and they had to do that some people who had come with me like michael simmons and others just said don't pay me now pay me some other time that was a very tough one because you're just making phone calls to raise money, and it's what it, and you and here's the time where you need to focus the most, right? Yeah. Like, and you're trying yeah. to invest your yeah. energy yeah. into this important film, and, and it's still you managed to pull it off because it was yeah probably your, your audience for that film was much bigger than it was my biggest one of the first three films. Sure. More people saw that than the first two. 
Yeah, I remember. Yeah. I remember the the reviews and the yeah. commercials and the ads, whatever, for... for there were. Even I never saw them. I may be making some of this <laughs> up, but I just remember. <laughs> Roadside. Roadside, Roadside yeah, They did a very good job with it. Eric mm-hmm. and Howard and this guy Dusty was working there at that time. Okay. But yeah. Eric and Howard, they run the company. And Eric they're, they're and Howard. Good. Yeah. Okay. They're amazing. And um, Dusty was there at that time, and they pushed it yeah. up the hill. I hear, I always see them like alongside another distribution company. Like they'll be, you'll see roadside attractions and Amazon and stuff. Yeah, they they sometimes right. exactly. people hire them to release things, and sometimes they pick up a film on their own. Right, I and see. here they just they acquire. Pick, yeah, they acquired this to release yeah. it on their own, <laughs> and they were great. Uh-huh. But but Chop Shop and and uh, the uh, and and Man Pushcart those were distributed by. Who, who Man Push Car was a company that's had a business called Films Philos. It was a very tiny, yeah. one-man operation. Did you have basically. a theatrical in New York City, yeah. like a week it thing? was in um, mm-hmm. the Angelica. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah. So he did, they did good. Yeah, okay. it did I mean, okay for a while. For, I mean, to me, it was amazing. It got released. I couldn't believe it. He even had a release. Yeah. And then Richard Lorber picked up the DVD rights for that, and then Richard picked up Chop Shop. Oh, Kino Lorber? Or is he, he was at the at time that doing time, some, Was it Kino Lorber? I think it, it might have been some variation. Yeah. Well, some, anyway, it's always yeah, Richard he was, was there, something. There was yeah. a variation, yeah. yeah he, he he's, came gone through and he, he's gone through a couple things now. Yes. We were, I was just talking to him with, uh, with Elise from Kickstarter because the guy who was overseeing all the film stuff here until recently, he moved over to Kino Lorber, took over uh, doing the publicity for, their, hmm. for them. Well, I like Richard, yeah. and he's a real... He is a good... He's, he's a really good. He's got... Really good instincts. And, yeah. And he's a real cinephile and a real supporter of yeah. kind of art house films. Absolutely. He's good. Yeah. He, yeah. He, um, he, uh, he's one of those, you know, uh, names that everybody, yeah. you know, everybody's, everybody's, everybody's kind of had something, something to do with Richard Lorber at some point or yeah. other, if you've been in it long enough. And then also uh, Chop Shop had, a, obviously, was did had a, obviously a nice theatrical. But it, yeah, Chop Shop was at... Um, Film forum. Oh, really? I think so. Yeah. Uh, did you ever have a sense that that the people that I mean, you were here, you were making films about immigrants already, and did you have a sense that immigrants were discovering your films at all? Did you ever have any kind of way of feeling like you were connecting to the any immigrant culture through making these films, or were there special? Yeah, I mean, screens? sometimes. Yeah, I, you said chop shop. I remember there were often. Mm-hmm. Hispanic or Hispanic Americans okay. at the screenings. Um, same with Solo. I remember there would be black Africans. I would see them at the screenings. Yeah. They would come up to me and talk to me. Um, how many? I, I don't know. No, no, I know. Because, you know, where, where we think about the educational or institutional distribution, which is not typical of a, you know, a theatrical, a typical theatrical distribution company, you know. Kino Lorber, which we just brought up, just as a way of an example, actually has a distribution, a sub sort of sub distribution component to them, where they do that mostly with obviously documentaries, hmm. not necessarily fiction films or narrative films. But you think about it, and it's like a perfect type of thing to do with a film like those, you know, because you do want to kind of reach those folks that, you know, these films are about your stories, and you were you were doing that. I think and they should teach film more in. High school and middle school. Well, they are now. I mean, I think so. Maybe not not in any kind of significant way, though. Yeah. But then there are now. My son's high school. He's going to high school this fall, actually. And there's a you know, 
there's also it's film school of the arts yeah, in, in brooklyn actually oh wow so and there's like a brooklyn i know the bronx there's a, a, a film high school so i mean it's that's not huge <laughs> cases of that but there it's 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 emerging i guess but you're right you know so and then, then at any price right is that there was that the name of the uh, yeah the next one that's where i thought i was going to meet you oh because i was working with the tribeca film festival that year and they would exploit the heck out of their their screening committee people by asking them to do you know q a's which is nice the first day or two you're enjoying them and you, you know and then by you know well a week into the festival you're like oh i have to be here at like 10 30 in the evening are you kidding me you know but uh, there was one I was supposed to do with you for at any price, oh. and unfortunately, you were not there, oh. so I didn't know that Sorry. until. No, thank you. Finally, I feel I have closure on that. <laughs> I, <didn't, laughs> so, I was so looking. I, don't know. <laughs> I was looking so much looking forward because obviously by then I was I had seen your prior all your prior films, so I was really looking forward to it. But uh, you you probably had another engage, uh, application. Yeah. That's my guess. Not to do the Tribeca Film Sorry. Festival, but it, it was not your. It was not also. It wasn't your uh, premiere. It was like the second screening, probably. Yeah, I'm sure you premiere? were at the premiere. We were in um, Venice. Well, I mean, Venice the, Telluride in Toronto were the premieres. For that yeah, one. I, I meant your first screening at Tribeca. Oh, okay. you, you might have been at. Even I was at, at that one. I yeah, I'm sure you were. This is yeah, probably yeah, the yeah. second one. Okay. They didn't have me doing premieres. They they saved that for the the bigger jobs there at the Tribeca. But speaking of Toronto, it's come up also. You have also a very close relationship with the Toronto Film Festival, yes, yeah. right? They've screened pretty much uh, most yeah, of since your films. Cameron, mm-hmm. uh, since Cameron took over, they screened all of them. So mm-hmm. starting with Chop Shop, mm-hmm. and him and Jane have been big supporters of mine. Yeah, and, um, I mean, it's a great festival. Yeah, no, it's one of the yeah top festivals, yeah. right? Uh, and you even brought. Um, Fahrenheit 451 there, right? You asked if they could screen that, right? Yeah, yeah. Didn't you? Yeah. Because I saw something online. I was yeah. like looking at Q&As and stuff. I can't, like we were emailing Cameron and Jane and I were emailing about, I think just meeting up in Cannes. And I said, well, why don't you just show the film? I, I've been showing everything there. Yeah. And then they said, well, why don't we just show it? We have a screening series. We could show it at that screening series. Oh, right. And I made the film there. So right. They, had a scre- they have a screening series for films that are about to come out. Mm-hmm. So it just kind of naturally fit into that. Yeah, sure. Um, and that you, like you say, you probably worked with a lot of people from. Uh, we had a lot Ontario, of cast and crew from Ontario. Yeah. yeah, I remember you talking about. It. I, I must have watched one of your or listened to a Q. One thing I like to do for, you know, in uh, preparation is now I can download a Q and A that yeah. you've done that might be longer and yeah. more nuanced, and I can listen to it. I and did learn do a heck Q&A a lot. I did yeah, it. You did. I thought we did. I did. I think I did a podcast with the yeah. Toronto. People. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 You probably did. Yeah. So I was finding out a lot about that, and then. When you did at uh, Columbia uh, after 99 Homes, which I'm jumping the gun a little bit, with, with that economist. Uh, Joe Stieglitz. Stieglitz, that's right. Yeah. That was great. That economist who won a Nobel Prize. That, that, that guy. Yeah. <laughs> that, that number cruncher yeah. guy. <laughs> Just uh, who's sat in with international, like, you know, right? Like heads of state. and Yeah, he was on, on the Clinton team and sure. yeah. World Bank and, yeah. you know, writes a lot about wealth inequality and. Yeah, globalization it. and, and its discontents that's one of his big books it's a really good book yeah and he's and he likes movies it seems yeah <laughs> which is nice but he um it brings me to this this point where we were talking about david and his kind of this little uh pivoting that he did in his filmmaking you know like going for david gordon green like away from these smaller stories to larger stories but in your case i feel like 
you made a conscious choice to go from these very, correct me if you feel differently, which I'm sure you would, but going from these, as you put them, near realist approach, which is more like what we, some people might call a documentary approach. It's just letting like the characters, you're watching them, observing them in their daily lives in this portion of time and something's unfolding and we're watching it and we're learning about struggles potentially also you know uh triumphs but small triumphs and then uh, now with with at any price though this became an overtly kind of had a political theme to it uh right something very much in the in the uh, zeitgeist uh, with Monsanto and with farming, agri, big agra, as they call it. And uh, and then after that, you have 99 Homes, which is, of course, about the uh, housing, uh, housing, crisis. housing crisis and, right, and the uh, um, mortgage crisis. Um, so it was, I, can I assume that I'm right, that you decided to make things that were more overtly political in theme? Well... Yeah, I mean, I guess both those films were um, reaching at something larger socially. Yeah. Um, and trying to whittle them down to some simple story. Um, but that hopefully they could be projected out into something um, larger in terms of our where we are as a society. And more people are going to see them. Well, more people maybe would see them because I, you know, I shifted to putting actors in them, and um, a little bit more story maybe. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it was it was a conscious choice to try to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so you you cast Dennis Quaid, or well, you didn't, but you worked with the casting agents agent or agency and Zach Efron right yeah. right so yeah so obviously you're going to be reaching a much larger yeah audience i think yeah. it's important right isn't it important at some point to try to do that and, um, and, and i think and, everyone should do what they want to do and then they can they don't you don't have to but mm-hmm. um also those roles like Shannon and Garfield's roles in 99 Homes i'm not sure a non-actor could do what i had written right I would have to have written it differently, I think, for a non-actor to get in there. And You're do right. That. Yeah, I didn't think of that. That's right. Um, a little bit too complex. Um, the, the nature of the scenes were a little too complicated for a non-actor to manage that. Um, it could have been an unknown actor that's different, someone who's trained to be an actor or has just their or dream. Or coming from theater. Or... And it's their first time ever doing it. That's different. But totally untrained people... It would be a little too much, I think, the way mm-hmm. they were written to manage it. Now, I did put non-actors in smaller roles in 99 Homes because I thought they could handle those roles, and they did. Right. That was fascinating. Yeah, that was great. I, I loved, loved how you that. did that. And I plan on to continue to do that, um, mixing the two Yeah, I love. I can. Yeah, and it, it seemed to really work for 99 Homes because here was this team. Again, it's about the mortgage crisis about, the, you know, uh, about 10 years ago. <laughs> and and um, still, still, still a crisis, actually, for many. But um, part of the thing was you had this team, right, where Michael Shannon and uh, uh, Garfield. Garfield, Andrew Garfield, right? They're they're uh, they're going together, like right uh, or separately, as the case may be, to kick people out of their houses. Yeah, and uh, it's like a perfect way of of setting this up, where you don't know when you open the door. You didn't tell 
these guys, right? They didn't always know when they opened the door who they were going to encounter. Is that true? That you yeah. sometimes used professional actors, but sometimes you used people that actually went through the crisis uh, uh, personally. Yeah, I mean, when Garfield has to evict a, a series of people in the film, I didn't tell him who would be on the other side. And sometimes it would be an actor, sometimes it wouldn't be an actor. Mm-hmm. Um, and often the non-actors had lost their homes. I was shooting in New Orleans. Usually they had lost their homes to Katrina. Oh. But they could still emotionally understand what it meant. Sure. And then I would sketch out a scene with the non-actor on my own, and they would have their own trajectory they were going to go in. And Garfield had a script of what a real estate broker should be saying in this moment. It's not like a script for a movie. It's a script that they would have. Mm-hmm. You knock on the door. This yeah, person has a reverse mortgage. Script you got to tell them to leave, and these yeah. are the things you know. Right. But when the other person starts saying, my wife died, he has no idea what they're going to say, and he'll have to just handle that as it happens, mm-hmm. which I think was exciting for uh, Andrew, and I think resulted in some of his best scenes, I think, were these scenes where he didn't really know what was happening. Yeah, well, sure. Because he didn't have as much chance to get in his own head about it. Right. Yeah. Uh, he had to rest on his wits and his yeah. right his instincts. Yeah. Potentially. One guy was uh, an older gentleman. I and remember that really he... disturbed him, Andrew. It yeah. really disturbed him because I remember telling that guy was actually an actor. Oh, he was. Yeah, and that sequence is based on a real eviction that I saw in Florida with a guy who had dementia. And um, I think this guy in the script, I gave him a reverse mortgage, and his wife had died a couple of years ago, and he didn't understand what it meant reverse mortgage. And um, I told Andrew that this guy was not an actor, that he was a real person, and that mm-hmm. he had dementia. So I said, I don't really know what he's going to say because he can't remember what I've told him. And that's what he thought when he knocked on the door. And I never ended up telling him that it was an actor. So when the scene was done, he, Andrew was very upset. Not, he was upset, saddened by what he had just encountered. And I just didn't see any reason to tell him that it was an actor. Mm-hmm. And that was the end of that scene. And I think that... Actually, I find that to be his best performance in the entire movie, mm-hmm. Garfield, is that scene. Because mm. his look is so real. Mm-hmm. He looks so troubled by what he's doing. And yeah. this one part where he's looking at him and then he stands up. So like the, the whole crew is in the background in that shot, but no one ever notices. Really? Yeah. So you're saying his best scene in 99 Homes is when he's not acting. Thank you for that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think so. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I enjoyed that film. Michael Shannon, uh, one of those actors everybody seems to uh, want to work with. Yeah. Right? He's like still kind of, can do kind of almost anything, it yeah. seems as though, right? Yeah, he's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, did you have a, a part in, when you, when the, with the casting of uh, in Fahrenheit 451, did that, um, did you play any role in, in trying to get him for that? Or yeah, Fahrenheit. Did you, did I think you could I, um, bring him to that? I wrote it for him. Oh, you did? Yeah, yeah. I asked him if he would do it, and um, he just said he would. And so I kind of wrote that thing for oh. him, which helped because I could write these kind of weird dialogues that I figured he would know how to do it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because that character talks a lot, and he has a lot of literary references and kind of high flute and language that I thought Shannon could deliver that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was that, that was your first adaptation from a... Yeah. <laughs> you looked a little bit... Uh... Yeah. Yeah. Tough one. Like that left you with a little PTSD or something. Tough one, yeah. Just because of the the expectations of, and the... Well, there's, I had never done it before, and there's so many things. That was a tough know, one to start with, I guess. Very. Um, I think what I didn't understand or know then, and 
I think no one told me was um, if you're going to adapt a very famous book, you probably should make huge changes. And I ended up just making big changes. And I think that angered a lot of people. Um, also, what, the, what the, kind of people? Fans of, of probably yeah, Ray, fans. Ray and, yeah, people who have a memory of the book or a memory of the Truffaut film, but probably haven't reread or reseen those things in a long time, and maybe have a false memory of those works. Um, you know, there was a lot to deal with, and um, in the novel, in terms of just. Updating it to deal with modern technology was already a challenge, and then um, there's not a lot of scenes or locations. Not much happens in the book, and the characters are kind of thinly sketched. Uh Um, You know, his wife doesn't say or do anything. She just stares at a screen and has depression, and there's this kind of 17-year-old girl who is very naive and innocent. It's kind of hard to imagine that in 2018, I don't know if we would tolerate that kind of a character. Um, when was it written? It came out in 53. Oh, yeah. And it was written over a, f- a few yeah. years prior to that, McCarthyism. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, he wrote it as, as a short story right. first. It originally, it was a short story called The Pedestrian, and then oh. he kept making it into More what flushed. it became. Yeah. Was, it, but it, was it a novella, or did it actually... Yeah, no, 100, 160 pages or so. Right, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and then um, also you... Talked about um, with uh, Fahrenheit, I guess the idea of adapting wasn't too too difficult in the sense of your your or or uh, disappointing or what have you, right? Because you're you're now in the midst of adapting another. I don't yeah, know, I don't already, know. You don't need to talk about it if it's too soon. But um, no, I'm working on the White Tiger. Uh, this is a nine, 2008 Man Booker Prize winner that my friend wrote. Um, oh, somebody you know? Yeah, we've mm-hmm. been friends since college, and oh. most of the book was written here and here down the street in my apartment. So I know the book very well. I've I've always wanted to do it. Um, it's a very different adaptation because it's contemporary. It's you know yeah. um, social in themes. It's social economic. It's a an underdog or a um, lower economic class character. It falls in the line of the kind of stuff I've already mm-hmm. that I've done and that I enjoy doing. Um, there's a complete story. The main character is amazingly sketched out. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the plot makes sense. You know, <laughs> so it doesn't have yeah. these pitfalls that kind of Fahrenheit kept her throwing at me. Where it's like, no matter how much I would rewrite it, it still never quite. It was hard to make it without making huge changes to it. It just became something different. This is kind of like. No, I have to make changes and I have, you know, you have sure. to do things, but it's still kind of there it is, the whole thing kind of. The hardest part is actually, unlike Fahrenheit where I kept having to make stuff up, here I don't have to make things up, I keep having to cut things I like. Oh, that's the hard, that's that's the hardest, the hard challenge. That's been the hardest part so far as I can't get the page count down because I don't want to cut stuff. Oh. You know. Mm-hmm. So you need somebody, kind of somebody with, you know, to be the bad cop. <laughs> Every few days I get up and I'm like, all right, and I just cut Excise stuff. Excise it and, yeah. And, and, yeah. And then afterwards, it's not. Uh, well, you quite lose things. Sometimes you have to cut three right, pages, back. but keep three lines. You know. Uh, yeah. And is this is this is this acquaintance friend of yours is it, uh, who wrote it? 
Are they involved in? in no, it? he's not involved. He's busy just, writing an, another book. You know? I'm <laughs> reading a different out. manuscript of his at the same time. So you, yeah. So you're already sniffing at the maybe his next work. But I'm I, kidding. He's always nice enough to ask me to read mm-hmm. what I what he does, and I give my feedback. And except for the White Tiger, he's always read all my scripts and given feedback. And when I have new ideas, we I talk to him about my new ideas. He talks to me about his ideas. So we've had a 20 year phone call going. Because mm-hmm. um, he lives in India, Australia, he's not in America, so we just for oh. twenty years talk on the phone now. Mm-hmm. Oh, but he was. Oh, I see. He was in Brooklyn at the time. We were in college. At, oh, at, okay. Yeah, well, he came back in in oh six oh seven, but he hasn't come back here in a long time. Oh, this was in North Carolina, is that where he was No, here. Oh, in, was here. In, we, oh. we were in college in, in Columbia. Together. Oh, Columbia, right? Yeah. Then he was here for a while, in in the early two thousands. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, after the first novel, he's never come back here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now I don't recommend it. It's not the time to. No, <laughs> if you're going to do it, no. just just wait it out. Yeah, <laughs> wait it out. Yeah. Um, yeah. So and then uh, you're. What do you teach primarily? You're 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 teaching at Columbia. Yeah. How long have you been there? God, almost a decade. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Do you feel like you might have been more even more prolific? Obviously, you would have. Had, um, if you weren't. Maybe I don't know. Neither here nor there, really. Yeah, I don't know. Yes. No, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what is that? What do, what do you teach? Do how many classes do you teach? I teach just two classes a semester, so I'm just there one day a week. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay, I can see that. Yeah. yeah. No, so I don't think it really impacts my work. Right. And um, you, it's the courses you've taught before. Yeah. Yeah, directing. It's just directing courses mm-hmm. and, um, you know, I like teaching. I like being around the students. Um you always learn something from them. You get a sense of what they're watching, what they're thinking. Are they watching? They're they're watching TV. Yeah, a lot, a lot of TV. Yeah, the night of Big Little Lies. They're mm, in those that. Were both good ones. Say it again. Those were both good ones. I like the Rizam yeah. and Night of. The other one, I, I didn't see that one, but um, you saw the Night of. Is what you're saying? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I, I like Rizam and um. Yeah, I just was I, arbitrarily. I mean, I think the last thing a uh, movie I saw on HBO was probably uh, Fahrenheit 451. Now that I think about, and then since then, I just watched this first episode of this uh, new uh, one that oh. was by the director of Big Little Lies, mm-hmm. just to kind of check it out. I don't know. And you enjoyed it? Jury's no. out a little bit still. It wasn't. It was. It was fine. It so was just. Opera. It's it is it's it's there is that it's melodrama high yeah. high high end yeah yeah I don't know I have never seen it um, the Big Little Lies you mean and then, I've never seen yeah it, this no. one which uh, I don't know the wire is exceptionally cutting good. the wire the wire well that was the, very good yeah well, yeah I mean that was groundbreaking right and that was uh, very good. I've had actually on speaking of the wire I've actually had on you know like I. I've had on four different people from The Wire, yeah. four different actors, just strangely, you know, it's just like, so I put up all the segments up on my YouTube, the YouTube channel as like a playlist here, just you can listen to these four people, not talk about The Wire, but they're all from The Wire, you know, or had been on The Wire at some point for some period of time. Yeah. No, they, I mean, there's undeniably some great TV, um, you know, and it, you can find it uh, on, you know, all sorts of platforms. Is that something that's likely to? Uh, I mean, even David Gordon Green with Red Oaks. I th- yeah. I, did you, Did you get to see any of that show? The Red Oaks. It's I, a comedy. I saw, yeah, I saw. But the it's pilot. really good. Yeah, I, I, saw the, I saw the pilot, and I saw that in Vice Principals. I always see the first oh, couple yeah, episodes sure. to see what David's up to. Yeah, yeah. but that, that's pretty. I, I used to found it down was pretty terrific too. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, I'm not sure, but does that hold? 
any kind of uh, yeah, know, why, attract why not? appeal. You know, why not? If it's the right thing. Yeah. Why, you know, there's that idea. I mean, it's a whole other kind of, right? People talk about the structure of it being different where you're, you're writing a longer kind of arc as opposed to... Well, I'm to do a pilot this fall. Are um, It's not mine. I'm just the director. It's for hire? A, yeah. It's a, a Tim Kring's. He did Heroes. Mm-hmm. And a, a hand like four or five other series. Okay. Some. Well, you've done that before, right? No, I've never. Oh, I'm sorry. I've made um, one commercial that Adam Stone shot. That oh. was the first thing I did, where it was like I'm executing somebody else's vision. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm here to build a table as best I can, the way right. you want that table to look. And uh-huh. Maybe I'll make some suggestions. If you like them, you'll take them. So I have something like that for the fall. That you know, it's Tim's show and. Um, his vision, and I'll just try to help. And who is it? Tim Krings, the, oh, the showrunner. Oh, oh, right, for yeah. like heroes and others. Okay, yeah, mm-hmm. it's a based on the Born Identity franchise, and um, so he's a great guy. He's talented. It's an interesting mm-hmm. show, and I'll do my best to accommodate and to yeah, you know, su- you're, help help it. Uh, yeah, you you're, you try to give as many ideas as you can that you think will help their vision. So it's uh, it's weird. Yeah, it's yeah. like I'm in the position of. I see myself in my role almost like the DP or production designer is for me where they're trying to make what I want to do better or more or mm-hmm. add to it. I'm trying to just do that for him because mm-hmm. this is what you want to make. How could I help you you know, make it better, more the way you see it or see it a little differently? Mm-hmm. But it'll be different because I've, I've not had that experience on a long term. I've only done it on a commercial. Right. So I have that in White Tiger and... Um, a, a, a New York I have a project in New York I'm, I've been developing again I started it in 09 and about 4 or 5 months ago we picked it up again and with my uh, Jason and his company uh, Gigantic Pictures oh. we did Goodbye Solo and Plastic Bag together and in 09 we started a project so about maybe 4 or 5 months ago I said hey guys let's get back to that and so we now researching and um, uh-huh. Uh-huh. I hopefully I'll make that after White Tiger here in New York Oh, the okay. That's interesting. Is that, and that's a film. Yeah, it's a feature film. With, okay, um, probably with no actors again. And oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's good to hear. Yeah. You know, uh, it's there is always this it, right. Do you, you get those folks that are very um, that that kind of wall you in a little bit too, right? Like because they this is their ideal. I mean, Barani. Oh yeah. Phase right. So yeah, you get that yeah. a lot. Is it, does that bother you or I mean or have you um, struggle with have you struggled with that you know because people you know I mean an artist is always evolving and growing and changing and shifting right it's, yeah I mean it, to some degree it is frustrating when people think you have to do something or you are a certain way um, with at any price I remember when I sent the script to Hollywood people asked if I spoke English um, that's just ignorance though right I don't know now it's a, a trend to be, now it's a trend to be interested in diversity. I got a phone call about a job when diversity became a cool thing, and they really wanted me to say that I was Muslim on the call, which I didn't want to answer that question. Um, things come and go, I guess. Fashion. Um, it's the way you're phrasing all that sounds like there's some some level of resentment or aggravation around it. I'm not. I mean, that's maybe an understatement. I don't know, because you're calling it like it's it's trendy now, right? I mean, I hope what seems to be working and lasting is that um, female 
artists are moving forward. Mm -hmm. And also, I think black American artists are moving forward. These are two big movements that are, I think, exceptionally good and way overdue. And I hope it's not Hollywood lip service. I hope it's for real. But and I think it is. I think it will be to some degree. I think they're, the, the leaders of those movements, uh, women, black, are really putting their claws in there and they're pulling people up, which is great. I think for brown and yellow people and, and red and everyone else, this doesn't make any difference, I think, to Hollywood. Despite the brown and yellow is like four billion people, I don't think Hollywood has much of an interest in it. Mm -hmm. And Native Americans, I think, no one even knows they or even exist as a, a race of human beings that were here long before any of us. Um, mm -hmm. I get. I, I should be off social media, and if I didn't do this podcast, I probably would be off social media. But I felt like you know people were sharing something about immigration, which of course you know is 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 in every you know on everybody's mind, but. Um, and I just remember something that Ann Coulter, you know, it's not a typical example, but you know, she wrote, my family, my, my ancestors were not immigrants because everybody's a product of, of immigrants coming here, right? She goes, they were settlers. And I was just thinking, see, so you'd rather associate your family with those people that came here and decimated, you know, the, the culture and the, all the indigenous people, that, that you're okay owning, but not that your parents came like the immigrants have this you know the associations of, of, of escaping potentially you know hardships and coming here for opportunity and freedom yeah. so but she she preferred to have the other version um, you know anyway the just, politics comes and goes but yeah, um, yeah. I think filmmaker just keeps making their movie and um, mm. it just hangs around you know when I when I look at the people I admire Herzog or you know, mm -hmm. Farda or Mike Lee, um, Kiarostemi. I mean, I mention them because they're older. So much politics changed around them over the decades, but their films just keep going forward, you know, like a stream. Um, so I'll try to keep just mm -hmm. making the ones I want to make. And keep my shirt black and not yellow. I think this is a good place to pause. You know, it might be a good place to pause, and maybe what what we can do is a uh, when um, White Tiger, when that uh, when that's uh, coming out, we I'll, I'll 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 go back to working with the publicist because oh, okay. <laughs> I probably want to say we're done. I think it's a good place to kind of okay. you know. What do you think? Sure. Did we leave anything out that was? Uh, I'm waiting for the tough question. Well, I try to kind of get it going a little bit. I mean, you did divulge some stuff about, you know, when there's somebody asks you uh, if you, you know, speak English or expect you to uh, admit to being a Muslim, you know, or talk about that on a phone call to drum up business or, right, to create some sort of interest in but a there's project. There's nothing I can say about that that isn't mm -hmm. already obvious, you know. Mm -hmm. Better is if we talk about the films, you know. The, yeah. Because that's not my business to talk about it. Um, it won't get anywhere. Better is to just make another film, I think. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, and, and rewatching, as I did the other week, last week, I was rewatching 
because it had been a significant amount of time since I saw either Chop Shop or uh, Man Push Cart. And then I realized I should probably watch Goodbye Solo, too. But Solo. Huh? Yeah, I like that one. Yeah. Well, I do, too. I did see that in the... Pretty sure I saw that when it came out. Oh, but yeah. The, you that know. was at the Angelica, too, and the Lincoln Plaza. Uh, well, yeah. Whoever yeah. programs or whoever... I don't know who does that part of the salesperson who gets it into the who deals with getting ma- yeah, the distributor. Getting it. So yeah, right. It's of course it's the distributor. So so the uh, what was I think so they, they always seem to get the films into both the Lincoln Plaza and the Angelica. Angelica yeah. Well, you can no in longer. In fact, the Lincoln Dan can't do it. Albert said no first. Then the New York Times review came and he called and said, "Okay, bring it, bring it." And he got it one week later. Oh really? Oh, okay. Well, neither the Lincoln Plaza, sadly, or Dan Talbot. Talbot is... They're around anymore. They're neither around anymore. Yeah. To the ever-changing time. Yeah. I understand the... Uh, weirdly, though, I, I didn't really even know this until a few weeks ago. I think Annette in, Insdorf told me. I was at the... Do you know the Magno press... Where they have press screenings? Yeah. Which is now also... That's by also way closed, of, yeah. Closed last yeah. week. I was at the like second to last night. I went to a screening... Paul da- uh, Dano. Oh, oh, his new film? Did you see it? No, I can't wait to see it. Paul yeah. told me about it years ago. Oh, really? And I was, you know, it's... I remember saying, just make it contemporary so you can make it. Thank God he held out. I haven't seen it. I can't wait to see it. I, we bumped yeah. into each other in Cannes, yeah. and I'm very eager to see it. I heard it's very good. Yeah. Wildfire, right? Yes, it was very good. good. It was he's really a, good. He's a cinephile. He's Clearly. A real, this guy, like, is obsessed with with great watching great movies so i'm very curious what he's made and i've heard it's very good yeah well again there's a case where i requested i saw it you know at the second to last night that the screening room existed i wanted to go back i ran in annette in store she was sitting behind me i said isn't this sad that we're no we're not gonna she didn't know Uh, i had just read about it on indywire i was i didn't know either that it was was closing in a couple of days anyway so but yeah there was a guy that i would love to bring us i made that request but who knows i mean the publicist knows I want to bring Paul, but I don't know if they'll, it'll happen because, yeah. you know, they get X number of hours and I'm not always, at the, you know, I might be going up against, you know, NPR and New York Times yeah. and who knows what else. So, but I think it would be a great, great opportunity and a great conversation if it should work out. But yeah, it was a really good film. It was a very good film. Um, and why, why, why did we start? Why did we get off on on, on Wild? Oh, because of the Linga Plaza closing, everything closing. They moved up. Uh, she and that told me they moved. They were starting to move the um, some of the. They were doing theatricals now at the JCC. I didn't know that. From they were calling it like Lincoln, like kind of packaging it or marketing it as Linga Plaza, because it's relatively close to where the Linga Plaza was, just blocks away. Right, actually, very close. It's only blocks from there, so they were trying to get the crowds from the Lincoln Plaza to come up, those old folks, to go to the JCC, and they have a nice cinema mm. in there, I guess. Mm. Anyway, so they were doing that. So, Yeah, well, I, I don't know. I hope it was a good enough interview, and, and you know, if you feel You're like, happy. I'm, <laughs> oh, no. Well, uh, you know, I'm also, I think it's, you know, you try to keep it, uh, we could have got far more into the bit. I try to kind of get it at that right balance, you know. We're looking forward to the White Tiger. Do you have an idea, by the way, when that might even happen it could even i suppose happen after this other project that you went to those guys at uh oh my new york one the new york right? Is maybe it? yeah you never know right yeah what takes and what yeah you never know what gets traction yeah right that's the worst part. that the gigantic know. films is that what you said those guys mm-hmm. yeah so i remembered they're nice guys good and yeah. women pamela 
I don't know. I don't know their names. So Jason and Pamela, they're good. What's Jason's last name? Jason Orans. Orans? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I should do something with the, uh, you know, on you know, if they're choosing enough interesting projects. Now, do you go? And by the way, do you see? Are you taking advantage of this time? Or you're not teaching right now, right? Because no. it's summer. Yeah. Although I guess there are summer classes, but not for you. Uh, are you? Do you go? Do you go out to the theaters and see many films? Yeah, I just saw a film yesterday. Um, oh, did you? Yeah. And I'm supposed to see something tonight. I don't know if I'll make it or not. I was thinking about going to see Bellatar at the Metrograph tonight. Oh, wow. Brookmeister. That is a, an intense evening, right? Yeah, I haven't seen it in, I think, 15 years. And I think I saw it, I think I've only seen it on a DVD, which is, not, I can only imagine, right. it's totally not the same. No. Um, for that kind of a film, yeah. Yeah, you're going to see things yeah. you, you wouldn't yeah, see yeah, otherwise. Sure, I mean, sure. even if you're, you know. Um, and what did you just see? Like, maybe you don't want to talk about it. I was, I saw First Reformed. Oh, well, Paul's film. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah. Uh, what'd you think? Yeah. Yeah, you enjoyed it? Are you a fan of Ethan Hawke's? Or? Oh, I think he's very good in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I am a fan of his. Mm-hmm. He's good. Yeah. He's good on stage, too. Yeah. As an actor. Right. Yeah, I think he's very good. He's getting better and better each. I think it's, you can see in Boyhood, he gets so, he's, performance is just, he, he like really finds himself as an actor by the second half of that experience boyhood as he's getting older yeah i, I appreciate it has is he's the one of he's these doing eternally boyish guys and i don't know that that's intentional i don't think so i think some people just are that way some actors you know and when it finally starts to fade he's doing his best work i think his know. best work still even ahead of him oh sure i think he's very good yeah uh well, and if he gets the uh, uh, ramin barani project i would like to work with him why I'm not sure you should we talked one time to try to do something we just haven't had the mm-hmm. opportunity but i think he's I really think he still has his best work in front of him. Mm-hmm. And his relationship, his films with, you know, Linkletter, I think, are very special. They're very real. He seems to really f- just fall in there and half fiction, half documentary. I don't know what they're doing, but it's good mm-hmm. what they do together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, they have a shorthand, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Linkletter's good. He managed to, he survived. It's good. Yes. Yeah, I like him. He's like a like a big hero in Austin. Yeah, you know. he's good as a person and he's good as a filmmaker, both. I would, again, another guy I've been trying to get on here. But it worked with you, so it gives yeah. me hope. I finally brought on one of my favorite filmmakers. You have filmmakers. so many great people here, come on. Yeah, I know, but it's never, it's like, you know, you you're focus hungry. more on... You're hungry, you want You're more. hungry. The guys that also, when I was coming up, it sounds like not too different of time frame than you, maybe a little bit, I don't know, around... I mean, I certainly started discovering cinema on my own, aside from what my parents brought to me, you know, and they did do an incredible job because they put on all those great auteurs on my radar, you know. Um, so I really had the groundwork done. But when I started discovering it on my own, my own generation of, of filmmakers, those are the guys like, you know, uh, a generation maybe older than you, but they're still very much making relevant works like Jim Jarmusch and it's amazing all those great it. guys, yeah. you know, and they're they're... Um, I, those are the guys I want to, and, and you know, to some degree, Richard Linklater. I mean, I discovered him a little later, but I would love to bring him on. Yeah, he's and, great. You know, yeah, Tom is just great. Yeah, I'm getting his partner on though. Oh, I heard she made a film. Yeah, Basquiat. Oh, I haven't seen it. It's called Boom it's for come out? Boom for Real. Yeah, it came out already. It was at the New York Film Festival, then mm-hmm. it came out about four or five months, ago, three or four months earlier this, like late spring, but she's still traveling around with it. And now she's, uh, she's working on his helping with his new project. So hmm. he has a new one. 
I guess. Yeah. 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 It sounds like he's got something. He's in a bit of another, you know, spurt of uh, or period of of Making productivity, good. which is great, right? Yeah. The more from him, the better. I know. It's like you know, if they don't get completely discouraged because of the financing issue after making films for 30, 40 years, you know, you can understand why they would. Yeah. That that could happen. Yeah. You know? Anyway, um, but, um, all right, so we'll do this again. I hope okay. For part two. Thank you very Thank much. You. For, it was great meeting you. Thank too. you. Okay. episodes of the podcast bing lee who has a new documentary called minding the gap and uh we had a great conversation the other day uh it opens on august 17th so we're going to play that on episode 501 also i'm going to play a conversation with the actress from the new uh movie called nico 1988 trina durholm also coming up we have a new film from sundance this year's sundance called we the animals directed by Jeremiah Zagar will have Jeremiah on the show along with actor Raul Castillo and the cinematographer for that movie, my friend Zach Mulligan. The team behind Atomic Cafe is coming up. The Atomic Cafe is currently screening uh, with a new 4K restoration at Film Forum and opening in theaters around the country again after uh, how many years? It came out in 1982, so it's coming up to four years. Amazing, right? It's a classic and it's very timely. For many reasons. Amy Scott, the director of the new documentary about Hal Ashby, it's called Hal. I don't know where she got that title. I'm supposed to speak with Andrew Bajalski, but I haven't scheduled that yet, but it's going to happen. Andrew Bajalski, he's been on the show a couple of times. He's back with a new movie called Support the Girls with Regina King in the lead. We have a conversation coming up with uh, the team behind the new independent film Relaxer with a returning Joel Petrikas, filmmaker Joel Petrikas, who's been on the show a few times. This might be his fourth visit, but he's being joined by actors Josh Burge and Andre Highland. Larry Fezenden comes back for a sixth visit. Oh, and the actor Frank Mosley, who has a retrospective of his directorial efforts at the Spectacle Theater in a couple of weeks. We'll talk more about that on the next episode Thank you for listening to my first 500 shows. You can find all of them on the filmwaxradio.com website. Just click on archive. We have all of our back episodes there. You can listen to endless hours of shows. And you can also listen to many, many of the segments. I'm uploading them all the time of just, just, just listen to the conversations without any of the other frills if you prefer. And there are playlists if you want to listen to all past five visits by Larry Fessenden, for instance, you can listen to the YouTube playlist of Larry Fessenden. Just go to YouTube and search Filmwax Radio and click under playlists or just videos. And you can just kind of choose which things you want to listen to. If you just want to listen to short individual segments. But we also communicate directly with our listeners and friends and we support independent film in so many different ways through social media. We have a Facebook page. We have an Instagram 
account. We have a Twitter account. And you can also sign up for our newsletter right off the website. I mentioned it's filmwaxradio.com. Get our newsletter. I only publish one or two a month at the most. And keep up to date with all things wax. Email us and suggest a guest. Just let us know what you think of the show. Which brings us to iTunes and, and Stitcher, two platforms where you can listen to the show, and which has reviews and star ratings, and we need that from all of our, my listeners. We've been posting shows free of charge for 500 episodes over the course of about seven years now. And I, all I ask in return is a review on iTunes or Stitcher or subscribe to any of our platforms, including iTunes, just to stay in touch with us and to help us promote the show. If you're a lover of film and you enjoy this, this Film Wax Radio, this podcast, show us in the smallest of ways. Thank you so much for listening. This has been uh, a joy and a pleasure and an honor, and I look forward to continuing. This is Adam Shartoff, your host of Film Wax Radio, episode 500. Until next time, take care of yourselves and the ones you love. Thank you.